Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad to be back with you guys. Uh, by way of introduction, I want to ask Lane to come up here. Lane, come on up here. We need a, a volunteer. Lane is a savvy tech guy. Come on up here, Lane. Yes, give it up for Lane. All right, Lane, I have a couple of items up here, okay? This nice fella and this blue guy. Do you know what these items are? Electric typewriter, yeah. high five. All right, what about this blue guy over here? Some sort of uh, old film style camera. Film style, two for two. Okay, Lane, here's what we're gonna do. In just a few seconds, I'm gonna put a timer up there and I'm gonna give you one minute to load up this camera with this film and take a selfie okay. of yourself. Yeah. And if you do, I'm gonna give you an incredible prize. All right, do we have that timer ready? Game begins in three, two, one. All right, come on, Lane. There we go. You got it open. Okay. Get the film out. Now what? Uh-oh. It's not, not good. 38 seconds. How are you getting it in there? Oh, uh-oh. You got it in there. 22 seconds. Come on, Lane. Seven. I'll just, I'll just email it to you. <laughs> you just give an email? You, you just give it up? Oh, you gave up? Oh, man. So close. Oh, good job. Mason didn't do it either, so you're good hands. All right, thank you. Good job, Lane. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, so there are a lot of things in this world that are outdated, right? Typewriters, film cameras, DVD players. Um, there's a lot of concepts in our world that are outdated, right? Some people, a long time ago, they used to believe that the world was flat. If you still if you still do, um, I would love for you to email me at masonc at bwater.org. I would love to interact with you on that. But there's a lot of people who wonder and question, are the things in the Bible outdated? In the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. Week one, Joel talked about the concept of hell. Is hell real? And if so, how do we know and who goes there? And then last week, Joel talked about creation. Where do we, where do we all come from? What is creation? What is that? Well, today we're going to talk about the idea of Jesus' return. And some people hear that and they think, okay, there is no way that Jesus is going to be riding in on some white horse on the clouds. Like, that is just absolutely crazy. Such an outdated topic. People also want to, okay, Tim, if Jesus is coming back, when is it going to happen? Like, it's been 2,000 years already. When is it going to happen? How is that all going to take place? Well, so that's what we're going to talk about today. If Jesus is coming back, why is it taking so long? And what did he predict would happen before. So as we jump into Matthew 24 today, I want to open with this question. What are the signs that Jesus will return soon? 
What are the signs that Jesus will return soon? If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes of various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So today, we are two days before Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. And he meets his disciples on this little mount, the Mount of Olives. And there they are across the valley from the temple. And Jesus tells the most startling, most significant, maybe even the most scariest prophecy in his earthly ministry and he says two things are going to happen at the same exact time. First, the end of the world and the return of Christ and the destruction of the temple is going to happen. And so the disciples, they simply look across the valley, they see the temple, and they just make an observation. This impressive temple, it took them 46 years to build, and then it took another 36 years years to finish all of the other buildings within the temple. And much of the exterior was covered in gold and just reflected the fiery rays of the sun. Let me show you the temple real quick, all right? So here's the temple. Zoom in a little bit. There's wall all the way around the temple with um, these amazing, impressive buildings, stones that weighed thousands of pounds. Zoom in a little bit, and we have these outer courts and then we have another inner court with just the women. As you pass through this gate, you have the court that was just for priests, and you have the altar. And then you zoom in a little more, and you get to the curtain. And as you pass through this curtain, you enter into what's called the Holy of Holies. Go into that next slide. This is where only the priest had access. And you come into here, and this is such an impressive building. 
that it took almost seven, over 70 years to build this thing. And some of these stones were 12 by 12 by 40. Some of them were 85 feet long, and they were just stacked on top of each other. So when the disciples saw this, show me the next slide. When they saw this temple, they were just amazed by how incredible it was and how big it was. And so when Jesus said, this entire thing is going to be destroyed, their jaws would have dropped. This temple was the center of their community. It was the center of their culture and everything that they worshiped. This was so dear and meaningful to them that when they heard that the temple was going to be destroyed, it's like saying the end of Judaism is coming. And so with all of that nervousness and tension, they come to Jesus and they go, okay, Jesus, privately, come on over here. How is this going to happen? What, what are all the signs that this is actually taking place? And so Jesus, instead of answering their question about when, he goes directly into the signs. In fact, uh, 27 years later, Rome is going to invade Jerusalem, and they are going to burn the temple in Jerusalem down to the ground, and this prophecy is actually fulfilled. And so Jesus gives them a warning in verse 4. He says, watch out. Don't be deceived. Don't be so gullible. People are going to be coming in, and they're going to tell you that the end is here. And he says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. And, you know, ever since I've been alive, that's been true, hasn't it? Right? We've had world wars. We've had civil wars. We've had border wars. We've had drug wars. We've had cold wars. And we've even had Star Wars. But these events, they're just general characteristics of the end. And I know a lot of Jesus-loving Christians who watch the news and they watch the weather, and they try to squeeze everything into what's happening, Matthew 24. That the end is happening. And Jesus says those are just the pains of a long season of Braxton Hicks contractions. The ladies know what I'm talking about. These are the, the fake contractions. They hurt like crazy, but it's not the birth of the baby yet. And Jesus is saying all these events, all these characteristics, they're just leading up. They're not the end yet. It's coming. And so verse 13, he says, the people who go through these events, the people who actually persevere, they're the ones that are really saved and then in verse 14, he says, there's one condition that must be met before Jesus returns. Do you know what that is? He says that the whole world is going to hear about the gospel. The gospel is going to be preached to everybody. Now, I have no idea how that's going to happen. I know there's a lot of people in our world, even in our country, even in this state, even in this county, that still haven't heard the gospel. But somehow... Some way, miraculously, there's going to be a worldwide preaching of the gospel, maybe a, a blanketing of the gospel. Somehow, God is going to make sure that everybody has a chance to hear the gospel. So how's it going to happen? I'm not really sure. I think it'll be maybe miraculous. It might even be instantaneous where everybody gets to hear it. But somehow, some way, Jesus is going to make sure that everybody hears the gospel. So as you think about some of these things that Jesus is saying, 
Think about them in your mind. Has this already happened? The first thing he mentions is Christians are going to be persecuted and put to death. Has that happened? Yeah, check, right? There's been a lot of Christians who have died and they've been persecuted for their faith. It's at least been partially fulfilled. And then he says, at a time, there's going to be Christians who turn away from their faith. Well, we've heard a lot of deconstruction stories. I think we can say, check, that's happened. There's been many false prophets who come, and they try to deceive people. Has that happened? Absolutely. 1.9 people follow the teachings of Muhammad. 16 million people follow the teachings of Joseph Smith. And there are many more false prophets. So has that been fulfilled? I think so. Check. He says there's going to be an increase of wickedness, and people are going to love what they, what they want, and they're going to grow cold. Has that been fulfilled? Yep. Check. And then he says the whole world is going to hear about the gospel. That's probably been partially fulfilled. There's been a lot of people, a lot of people in the world have heard about the gospel, but still not completely fulfilled yet. And so what are the characteristics of his return? That's the second question. What will characterize his return? Let's look at verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, drop down to verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So what Jesus says is when he comes back, it's going to be really, really obvious. People are going to try to tell you, it's coming, here's the date. But I want to tell you, there's no magical formula, there's no word puzzle, there's no acrostic you got to figure out. It's going to be really, really obvious. He says, people are going to come up to you and they're going to try to tell you, Psst, he's over there in the woods, he's in the wilderness, there he is. Or, Psst, come on over, he's in this secret place, come over here, I'll show you where the Messiah is. He says, that's not how it's going to be. It's not going to be this big mystery. It's not going to be a secret. He says it's going to be like lightning in the sky. Wherever you are, you're going to be able to see it. The scene will be indescribable. It's like when you see lightning across the sky, you can see it for miles and miles. It doesn't matter where you are. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be obvious. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus were to come back today at any moment, would you be ready? Would you be ready? Because it's going to be really, really obvious. And then he says it's going to be met with great sadness. You say, why, why is it going to be met with great sadness? I don't understand that. Why would you say that? Look at verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then 
all the peoples of the earth will what? Will mourn. Why would they be sad? Well, if you're ready, if you're anticipating the return of Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, you're looking forward to it. You're excited. In fact, there might be some Baptists here that dance when he comes back. Just a few of you, just a few of you. But imagine if you have no idea about who Jesus is, or maybe you have heard, but you've never taken that next step, and you've never placed your faith in Christ, and all of a sudden, like lightning, he shows up, and you're not ready, how are you going to feel? Maybe a little nervous, maybe scared, maybe even sad because you know, okay, now everything has come to a head, and there's judgment there. And so people are going to be sad, maybe even scared. So first, his return will be obvious. Second, his return will bring great sadness. And then last, it's going to be at an unknown time. He says, no one knows the day. No one knows the hour. No one has any idea when this is going to happen. That's incredible. That means it could happen today. That means it could happen next year. It could be another 2,000 years. We have no idea. So the question at stake is, are you ready? Does your life reflect that kind of readiness? When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go home, do you live with that kind of purpose, knowing this really could be my last hour here? Think about that. If I was ready, what kind of conversations would I be having with people? If I was ready, what kind of things would I be doing? How would I be interacting with people at the grocery store? So are you ready? Here's the big question. How should we then live? If Jesus is going to come back, and it's going to be obvious, it's going to be great sadness, and it's going to happen at any time, how then should I live my life? Look at verse 42. Therefore... So anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to go back and see why it's therefore, right? And so he's just talked about all of these things that are happening in light of his return, in light of it coming at any time. Therefore, here's what we need to know. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. And then he says, but understand this. If the owner of a house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house been broken into. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, if you've seen Home Alone, you knew that Kevin was ready. Right? He knew they were coming back at 8 o'clock. Right? Because he had heard them. He was prepared. But if you're not prepared, you have no idea. And what Jesus is saying is, you have a heads up. Be ready. It could happen at any time. Verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Verse 46, here he's summarizing everything. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. After this, Jesus tells a couple parables 
And one of the parables he tells is about bags of gold. He gives three guys bags of gold. He gives one guy five bags. He gives one guy, I think, three bags, another guy one bag, right? And the first two guys, they take their gold and they invest it and they actually double what they have. And the last guy ends up digging a hole in the ground and stuffing his money in the ground and he covers it up and he hides it. And Jesus, or the master, comes back and he says, hey, what would you guys do? And guy number one says, hey, look what I did. I actually doubled it. Guy number two says, I did the same thing. I invested it and I doubled it. Guy number three says, I was scared. I just hid it in the ground. And Jesus said, you're lazy and you're wicked. Meaning, you and I have all this time, and we are stewards of the time and the talents and the resources that we have. And one day, the master, King Jesus, is going to come back, and we can be wise and faithful servants, or we can be lazy and wicked and just do nothing and not be ready. So the question is, are you ready? And does your life Reflect that readiness. So what do you want to do when Jesus comes back? What do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Maybe you want to be writing a letter to uh, a child in hunger across the globe. Maybe you want to be talking to your kids or your grandkids about what they learned in our kids' ministry. Maybe you want to be praying with somebody in your small group. Or maybe you want to be talking to a coworker. You finally have got up the courage to talk to them about Jesus. Or maybe you want to be bringing your kid to youth group. Or maybe, like in a few minutes, you want to be taking communion. You want to be reflecting and remembering on who Jesus is and why he died on the cross for me. What is it that you want to be doing? Are you ready? Let me ask you this question. What do you not want to be doing? What do you not want to be doing? When Jesus comes back, and it's obvious, and it can happen at any time, and it's like lightning in the sky, all of a sudden, what do you not want to be doing? I can think of a lot of things I don't want to be doing, right? I'm sure you can too. You probably know what it's like to be caught doing something you shouldn't be, or you know what it's like to be kind of caught in a lie and all those things just start to unravel and that guilt and that feeling inside is like, ugh, super uncomfortable. One day Jesus is going to come back. And I really believe that there's two categories of people here in this room. The first category, those of you, you're prepared. You've placed your faith in Christ. You've asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've asked him to forgive you of your sins and you're ready, you're prepared, and you're looking forward to that. Then there's another group of people that might be here today. You haven't done that. You've been waiting. You've been dragging your feet. You've got a lot of questions. You're just, you're just not sure. And if Jesus came back right now, there's part of you that would dread that moment because you're not ready. You're not prepared. The good news is you can be ready. So great. Tell me, how do I do that? How do I become ready? It's, it's pretty simple. You put your faith in Christ, right? You come to him and you acknowledge your unbelief. You acknowledge that Jesus was sinless and he died for your sins and he died for my sins on the cross. And you acknowledge that you, you're putting your faith in him, that he conquered sin and he conquered death 
and he rose again. And he offers salvation for you. And you simply just have to acknowledge that and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's it. So as we get ready for communion in a few moments, I want you to take some time to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross. If you're in that first group and you're like, yes, I'm ready, I've put my faith in Christ, the big takeaway for you today is be bold and courageous in your faith. This week, look for opportunities to boldly live out your faith. If you're really ready, look for those opportunities. If you're in that second group, I would urge you to figure out how do I get ready? What does it look like to place my faith in Christ? And so as we get ready to take communion, if you're not ready for Christ's return, if you're not right with God, or maybe you're not even a believer, I want to give you permission to not take communion, all right? I'm going to pray in a minute, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about communion. Heavenly Father, we are truly amazed by who you are, amazed by your grace, and we thank you that you are King Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And as we prepare for communion, pray that you would work in our hearts and let us reflect and remember who you are and what you did on the cross. Pray all this in Christ's name, amen.